At least that's my opinion. I don't know. You might make disagree. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 401 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. How are you guys doing? Yo, yo. Yeah, nice Labor Day weekend. Yeah, not too bad. It was special. I was traveling. Yeah, Seth's traveling. You know, he's working on Labor Day. I mean, come on. You're celebrating the end of summer travel season by traveling? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I didn't do that good a job of avoiding it during the summer, so I'm not sure it really counts. <laughs> he's, he's getting the even thoughts. That's, That's right. What he's, trying, he's trying to do. He's doing uh, a before and after. Today was the before. <laughs> that will be the after. Well, I mean, I flew Delta today and I'm flying Spirit after twice. So does that count? He just likes pain. Yeah, I was gonna. I don't even know what to how to respond to that. Just <laughs> I got an exit row for my first flight. That's an hour and a half, and I got big front seat for my second flight. That's two hours and forty five minutes. Okay. I mean, is are you going back via Alaska, or how are you getting back from Seattle? And ba- uh, sorry. So yeah, that was uh, Boston to Salt Lake was Delta. Salt Lake to Las Vegas to Seattle will be Spirit on those two pops, and then uh, Delta again on the A three twenty one Neo. Their uh-huh. newer plane. Yeah, excited for that. Did they have they had good yeah. timing for that one. Uh, yeah, I landed Logan at midnight. Yeah, that kind of stinks. It very much stinks. Uh, but it for it's good news, bad news. It basically means I drove instead of taking the bus because I can't afford. I don't want to risk missing the bus and being stuck for an hour at midnight. Yeah, but it means I have to drive home for an hour and a half at midnight. So yep. I'm gonna yep. be tired. So hopefully, I get a nap on the plane. For sure. What's funny is spirit. Uh, you reminded me this. I was in Houston this weekend. Uh, trying to come back home, there was lightning strikes, so all the ground folks were pulled in, except for Spirit. <laughs> what? The, sp- the Spirit people were still boarding and moving their operations while everyone else suspended operations. That's a, I, that's that's dangerous, though. I thought that was more of an airport thing than an airline thing. Or they were leaving people's bags behind. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Have a good trip, Seth. Yeah, well, I'm, not checking, <laughs> I'm not checking a bag, so that'll help. Uh, <laughs> I hope. Oh man, um, let's talk about some news. So I think it's been a it's been a pretty rough week in aviation. Just there's been a few, there's been a stolen plane, there's been a business jet that crashed, there's been a float plane that crashed, uh, and then a, a tap airplane landed on a motorcycle and killing two people in Canarchy, uh, Guinea. Um, is that how you say it, Guinea? Or is it Guinea? I, I, don't I think know. it's Guinea. Okay, um, so it's it's just been a rough week. So the BizJet. Okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. No, I had uh, completely. I, I'll wait till we get there. No, I, I think the BizJet one. I mean, I, from what we know right now, it's almost like a Payne Stewart situation, a decompression. It, it yes. seems like. I I gotta say the one thing about that that weirded me out. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it looks like rapid decompression knocked the pilot out and knocked them all out. Plane flew until it ran out of fuel and it had to do the spiral down into the sea. Um, the part that weirds me out a little bit about that is the report in the newspaper I read was named the is a owned by a German businessman his, mm-hmm. and then it was him his wife the daughter and the boyfriend on board mm-hmm. and reported likely four deaths I'm like well, there probably was a pilot hopefully unless he was flying it unless he was flying it or it was unclear who was actually flying it from the story but it was that was a weird sort of version of history I felt like but it may just been incomplete information or poorly phrased so anyway yeah yeah it's. I mean, it's pretty terrible. Um, I think uh, the Latvian Air Force uh, was scrambled for that one. A bunch of countries scrambled fighters to try to get up there and follow it as it just like you know careened across Europe. Yeah, yeah. And none of them could figure out any. None of them reported seeing anybody in the flight deck. So not interesting. Good. 
I mean, that's another thing too, right? Like you're not supposed to leave the flight deck. If it is, if it was a single pilot operation, let's say this gentleman was flying the plane, right. he's really not supposed to leave the flight deck during the flight. Sure. That's one of the rules. So if they didn't see anybody or maybe he was slumped over, but or say, yeah, slumped over might happen. I, I don't know. It was, it was a citation, right? So I'm yeah. not sure if like, if he passed out and fell forward or fell to the side, if it would potentially hit controls that might've deactivated autopilot somehow, but obviously yep. it doesn't seem like it did. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and then a, a DHC three otter float plane um, crashed uh, off Whidbey Island in Washington. And I hadn't actually seen the story till you posted it, Seth. So I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, this was another one. There was a charter running out from, I think it took off from downtown Seattle, or I guess either off of Lake Union or one of the other areas there, um, but was headed out uh, up into the islands there. And again, it was a sort of sudden descent. Uh, very, very little detail. I, last I heard, they had uh, identified one of, or found one of the passengers or people on board, but the others were all missing. And then uh, the search got suspended. It was a relatively deep and quick current area. So not great news. Wow. Yeah. Just, um, uh, just terrible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, so, I mean, and then, the, and then tap landed, it was an A320 landed on, on a motorcycle, basically uh, in Canarchy. It sounds like the motorcycle was a security guard and it killed him and a passenger on the motorcycle. Um, yep. And and looks like it did some major damage to the A320. So uh, it's uh, awful. That will not buff right out. Yeah. I'm surprised they're bringing a 320 that far. Yeah, I mean, it's a 320 it's Neo. Neo, I get yeah. it. But it's 2,000 miles about. Is that it? Yeah, that's what I was reading. It said it was about 2,000 miles. Okay, I mean, I guess it helps that, uh, uh, what's it called, that uh, Lisbon is so far south. Yeah, I'm looking right now. I wanted to see what's, I don't know, Canarchy's airport code, actually. Me neither. Uh, uh, I couldn't find it very quickly. So I can't either. <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh, there is that it? Yeah, that's it. CKY. Yeah. So Lisbon CKY. I just want to see. I just want to see like how far is that one? Uh, yeah, it's about that's two thousand miles. I mean, it's it's far. Yeah, but but it's not it's not as, not that far. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm thinking is like when I did. What I think of as similar, it was Brussels to uh, Accra, Ghana, mm-hmm. and that is um, for a variety of reasons is you know fifty percent longer. It's thirty one hundred miles. So yeah, Brussels is much further north. North Accra is much further south. But yep. um, anyway, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's terrible to see this. I mean, the guy was just doing his job, and uh, I guess didn't get clearance or had clearance and someone in the tower got fused. Who knows? We won't know until they do an investigation, but we really know that he was just doing his job. I don't know. Yeah, it was. I mean, I know we know it's a security guard. Like it's someone who like is like securing the fences and stuff like airport security. Right. But who, you know, we don't know if he was decided to do something stupid. Yeah. Like race the plane. True. You know, Top Gun Maverick has come out recently. That scene, you know, riding the motorcycle in the original. No, Uh, um, I'm and then, sorry, not 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 a good way to make fun of a guy dying. Sorry. Well, and and the last one is a 29 year old uh, male stole a plane in Tupelo, Mississippi, and flew it around and then crashed it. Uh, sort of landed it. Kind of landed it. Yeah, it was like a belly landing. Um, and was arrested. Yeah, and he because he was threatening to crash it into a Walmart, um, which I think is an interesting choice. But I mean, didn't like the way the greeter said hi. Earlier. Yeah, yeah. Lines were too long. 
I mean, it's a bad sign the guy had three names: Corey Wayne Patterson. Like that, if whenever you have three, it's like you're a serial killer. Like it's just that's the way it is. <laughs> well, there goes a couple of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm not. I'm just saying. Like every time, like I mean, John Wayne Gacy. Anyway, um, yeah, but he flew this thing around uh, impressively, not careening it into the ground. He actually landed it fairly yeah. well. Um, but right, it, they a good, didn't. A good any, landing is one you can walk away from, right? Yeah, I mean, for him, it's. I guess. I mean, he's walking straight into jail. But um, it's it. It does raise the question, right? Like this is private aviation. He stole the plane. It's not easy to steal a plane, in my opinion, right? You have to know enough to like get the plane to start, make sure you know it's airworthy. Um, so he had to know something about aviation. And I wonder if like we're going to start seeing more crackdown uh, crackdowns on like private aviation because there's already been some, but. Uh, with, yeah, I mean, I, he wasn't. Air, he worked at the airport, so he had exposure to that stuff. Yeah, um, I do love that there are a bunch of people saying, "Oh, well, one of the pro- reasons this happened is that the tower was closed." And obviously, if the tower had been open, uh, he would have asked for clearance. It would have been denied, and so he wouldn't have taken off. And the man was stealing an airplane. I'm pretty sure clearance from the tower wasn't really on his top of his list of things to worry about. But I, don't I know. mean, if the Alaska Q400 thing teaches us anything, is the tower doesn't. Control like, the tower right. controls things, but he just took off in a Q4. Yeah, that guy the, the tower so. did try to say like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? Please don't!" And he went anyways. Yeah. So exactly, yeah, craziness. Just a just a bad week all around. I think in general aviation world. So, um, could be worse. You could have had your entire fleet grounded. Yeah, which is what the U.S. Army had with the Chinooks uh, helicopter fleet. Uh, what what's the story here? Uh, engine fires. Uh. They had like four reports of the engines catching on fire, uh, trace it to a fuel leak, which they traced eventually to an 11 cent (laughs) O-ring, which somehow it's from what I can tell, there was a, the version that was being installed was mismarked or misclassified. (laughs) It had the wrong, uh, it was like a low temperature O-ring instead of a high temperature O-ring. And so when it got put in the engine, it would melt and then leak because it wasn't the high temp version. Um, someone basically mismarked it in an inventory system and then they all got installed as part of maintenance cycles. And then they had to get all the play. They basically grounded the fleet after these crashes, figured out where the leaks were coming from, figured out that this part was wrong and I had to replace them all with the correct ones. Hmm. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And what I'm worried, what I'm thinking though is if only they had blockchain to track those parts, it would have been possible to know in advance that they were broken. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that'll. I mean, the blockchain will solve all of our problems. I'm warming up for my uh, trade show week here, where Got, I know this you. is going to come up. And some, I will say, there's a lot of people that are convinced that blockchain is useful for tracking uh, spare parts and maintenance and inventory stuff because it theory it works across airlines and across whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't. It's because it's no trust multi master whatever. Like when the part moves or whatever, if it's on the serialized correctly, you can still track it. And this, this is one of the arguments to be made. So I'm sure I'm going to hear that argument this week. As, as, as someone who does work in ma- the maintenance world, not for aviation, it's not going to solve anything. So oh, I know, I know <laughs> that. You know that. But I, I get to hear a guy, a self-proclaimed futurist, tell me ah. how Web3 and blockchain is the, is the future hmm. on Tuesday. It's not, it's not Foz, is it? No. <laughs> is he a futurist? Are you a futurist, Foz? No. I think I want to go back to the olden days. <laughs> <laughs> I still respect, I still love Linnea's comment about that when I told her this is the same guy who was speaking at the one in Dublin in June. And I was like, "There's a guy, there's a f- this futurist, blah blah." And he like ripped me one when I told him I thought he was full of shit. Um, and her comment was like, "Futurist? That seems like the title that you can only give yourself. No one else would actually ever call you that." And <laughs> pretty sure that's the case. It's anyway. It's, it's true. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about the TSA. I mean, we talked about something I wrote and that was in the verge a while back. Um, but there's a new article by the verge, uh, and Seth, it, it, death does not uh, mean the end of TSA screening. The opening sort of story being told in this or the, uh, anecdote being told in this story is absolutely mind boggling. And it basically comes down to a family traveling with an old grandma or whatever, uh, checks in, everybody gets their boarding passes, grandma's in the wheelchair, they start rolling through the security line, grandma dies sitting in the wheelchair. The family decides that they're going to bring grandma home anyways and goes to the TSA checkpoint. The check the, the officer checking IDs is like, okay, well, I need to see ID. She needs to pick her head up so I can verify it. Can she pick her head up? And they're like, actually, no, she can't. Eventually, they all realize that she's dead. One of the one of the kids or grandkids is crying, and eventually they get to the point where they realize that TSA policy is the passenger has a valid boarding pass and has presented themselves for screening, and so has to be screened. And so they did a pat down in the wheelchair and wheeled her through the checkpoint and let the airline figure that shit out on the other side. <laughs> this, I mean, this is this story is just insane, and it's. It, it's what's interesting about it is like this is the lead into a the TSA is insane and it's still a terrible privacy violation and all these things and has like has never really stopped any attacks and is a terrible investment even if you think it might and all of these other things but it's an absolute that that opening section is just an absolutely amazing story and I still I'm still trying to fathom how they didn't bring like the the local PD or whoever else is there at some point and be like I know you can't do that. Like, we're not going to let this person on the plane, so you can't bring him into the secure area. I, I bring an air, airline official, right? Like, I have to assume there's a section that says you can't board if you're dead. And no, that's, that's, I mean, that's one of the that's one of the paragraphs. Go ahead, Fox. Sorry. Yeah, one one of the things in the article were that it, because there's no death certificate, they weren't officially dead yet. And because it's a it's like a gray area of U.S. law. Yeah, I guess this goes back to our old gate agent friend who said no one's ever died on an airplane. Yeah. You get them off the plane and onto the jet bridge first, and then you have the death declared so that the plane can keep flying. Otherwise, the plane's yeah. like a crime the, scene potentially, crime scene or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, has to be investigated. Yeah, yeah, and so. and I think and I think that in this point, like it says, U.S. law obligates airlines to accommodate their ticketed and checked-in passengers, even if they have a physical or mental impairment that, on a permanent or temporary basis, substantially limits one or more major life activities. Yeah, but there's also the thing, the section that's like, if you smell bad, we don't have to take you. So Which, it's a corpse. There's a lot of flexibility. No. Right? <laughs> if, if it doesn't smell bad right now, but it's a corpse, it's going to get there pretty quickly. Like th- there's a lot of flexibility in those rules i want to know how this ends did did they make it did they fly where they were going with their their dead grandmother i don't know but also isn't it like 600 million dollars per potential life saved or something like that is the cost of the tsa yeah yeah it's some number that's very high and very unfortunate yeah i mean i it's interesting one of the things they point out is that the agency really makes little effort to combat rising passenger hostility on airplanes and they're not doing anything, right? They, all they're doing is checking you at the checkpoint. Which, which is fair in many ways, right? Their mission is to ensure that you are um, – sorry, opening a beer here. Um, yeah. the, the mission is to ensure that you are not going to uh, crash the plane. I mean their their job is to find things that go boom. That's it, really. Right. And right, this goes back sort of to the like the scope creep of finding drugs and things like that where, and where it was like they can't do anything about it. They're supposed yeah. to refer you to the local police department. Even what's weird is they can't do anything like when they find the gun. Yeah. They can't arrest you. Right. They right. can't even really detain you. 
they have to call the police. Right. Um, so I mean, it makes, yeah, and it makes it it makes it it makes the organization anemic, which is partially, I think, a good thing. I, I don't know that I want them to have teeth like that. I don't know that we need that. Um, but I'd be okay just going back. To, and like we've said on before, it's never going to happen, right? The way this is going, it's never going to happen. We're never going to go back to pre nine eleven security. Correct. Um, but we could, we should be able to fix this and make this run better. And that doesn't mean getting more body scanners, in my opinion. So anyway. It's a crazy article. I think it's worth people reading. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that, Foz? No. <laughs> Foz is like, nah, mm, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, I guess a question that I would have is if, if it was an international flight, what happens when you get to customs? With a dead body? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, outbound. There's no outbound screening. Yeah. I think he's I think he's meaning on the inbound, like whenever that's, you land. That person's still dead when they land. Sure. But that's not the TSA or the U.S. Airlines problem at that point. They're off the plane. Although maybe it maybe it is the airline's problem, right? If you if you carry a passenger who is not admitted to the country on arrival, doesn't the airline get fined? I think so. Yeah. So, and again, with the are there, how are they going to take a dead person on the plane? They, like they divert planes when someone dies. They don't mm-hmm. take off with them. Yep. I'm Certainly having, not in this regular seat. I'm having flashbacks to weekend at Bernie's. Oh God. <laughs> um, China Airlines is going to buy 787s to replace A330s. This can't be real. Why not? For a number of reasons. Well, it is real, but okay. okay. Share, share your reasons with me. Uh, I mean, I just I felt like, one, we're behind on A787 deliveries already. We're yeah, but they blowing. started again. Come on. Lufthansa finally got its first one. American Airlines has taken two. At this pace, they should have the backlog delivered sometime in 2028, and then it won't be a problem. I mean, can China I'm Airlines... Up, I'm making up that timing, but it's it's going to pick up at some point. But. Yeah, I mean, can China Airlines take planes that late? Like, are they... What's the What's the end goal for them? It, it is a few years out. Their 330s are old but not dead yet. Mm, no, no. Um, so it is a few years out that they're looking at it, right? Like Hawaiian obviously wants it before this happens. There's a few other airlines in line. But the theory is with the FAA approval and Boeing sort of figuring out its shit with the engineering and making that work better, that they're going to be able to actually ramp up and get – I think they're trying to get back up to five or six a month pretty quickly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like I think they're building three a month right now and supposed to get to six within a year or so. If I remember correctly, um, hmm. don't hold me to those numbers, but it's something like that. So it, it, it will ramp back up. Um, and Lord knows Boeing needs to do something to start selling and delivering planes that make it some money. Yeah. And and I think it, it, some of the articles I've read have said, oh, this is politically um, brave for, you know, China Airlines ordering these 787s and Boeing, you know, accommodating it. And I'm like, well, wait a second. EVA flies 777s and 787s, and they're also a Taiwanese airline. Yeah, um, I think I think the political angle on it, though, the order confirmation comes after the Pelosi visit. Yeah. So there, there I think there is something there and comes after, you know, alongside uh, mainland China continuing to not let the max fly. And now, be, again, be, not because of but associated with, let's say, the Pelosi visit, that probably will be some time yet. Yeah. yeah. Right. We talked about this before. Boeing's pulling engines off. The planes that are supposed to be delivered, the Maxin that are supposed to be delivered to China, because it knows that they're never going to. Ha- it's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, and it needs the engines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it's basically these are replacing twenty-two of their older A three thirties, and it's. Yeah. I think they ordered sixteen. Yeah, that was the other things. interesting part to me is that it's a a smaller number order, mm-hmm. but we'll see. The, the one other angle I read, and I think I've got it. I think it was uh, Lehman. Um, news that had it was that the 787s are way more cargo capable hmm. relative to the 330s uh, for a couple of reasons. One of them is crew rest, 
the crew rest bunks on a three thirty are in the belly. Oh, interesting. And so you they go, you go downstairs for crew rest, so you lose contain, uh, cargo container positions. Boeing puts them up in the roof, right above like the rear galley, or yep. maybe it's above door three. But uh, you go up overhead for the flight attendant rest bunks, and so that makes it uh, you get like two or three cargo containers back, and that's a huge deal. Hmm. Wow! And they're and moving Airbus, lots of cargo. We know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, China Airlines has a ton of cargo, so I mean the range, obviously. Yeah, I, I'm not sure range. I mean, it, it obviously figures in into the efficiency of running at the longest ranges matters a lot. Um, but you, I mean, when you look at where Taiwan, like the longest flights they're going to run are either New York City or London from where they are. And I don't, I guess London becomes challenging if you can't overfly Russia. So that'll be interesting to see. Mm. Um, we should talk about that, actually. Um, I hadn't put it on the list, but we should talk about overflights. Uh but yeah, I think that there are some challenges in ter- and actually New York becomes a problem without Russian overflights uh, with the Great Silk Road. You do a polar route for that one. But uh, it, I think there's something there, but I'm not sure it's enough to skew one way or the other. It's not like they're in Australia or Singapore and need to make the New York flight where they need the absurdly long range. Yeah, but I mean, they've got 330, 300, so they're less of a range than the 200. So this gives them a lot more flexibility in what they can do. Yeah, yeah fair. I mean, I, I think- it will I- well, I, say, I wonder if this means that they will start putting some of these smaller planes on longer routes. Because right? they, they typically only do the triple seven three hundreds right now for the longest routes, right? Right, but they, remember they also have seven forty seven four hundred still in operation as passengers. Thirteen of them. Huh. I, I, I mean, the other thing too is the only East Coast destination they have is JFK with passengers. Yeah. So I mean, they're right now. You know, they're really limited to Honolulu. Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York. So, I mean, they're not a huge, they're not like EVA, I guess, you know, where they, where they have a lot of lift into the United States. Um, so maybe this will help them a little bit with, especially with the cargo plus passenger type flights. Maybe they need it for that flight to Ontario. <laughs> yeah, they do fly, they do fly a, uh, they do fly a passenger flight to Ontario. I forgot about that one. Does it still operate? Yeah. I don't know if it's every day, but it does. Yes. Nice. Yeah. That was, uh, random. Well-funded. Well <laughs> uh, I'm I trying to see if it still shows up. It still shows up. Yeah. yeah. Taipei, Ontario. Yeah. I don't see the 74 in filed right now for passenger flights. I'll have to look. Looking at Airfleet stuff, 13 and active. Yeah. I'm. I'm looking at. Uh, I don't know, I'll look at the for the full quarter. But yeah, they might um, just not be flying them, but they have them. Yeah. Uh, all 747s. Yeah, they do have the Ontario flight. Wow. Eight. In the months, so every few days. Yep. Um, in you know, you added a note in here, Seth, that this may not actually be a finalized deal, though. Yeah, there was something about uh, it being, uh, it still being sort of being negotiated, even though it's really, um, you know, it's been reported as a uh, done deal. So interesting. I, I didn't get, I didn't get into the nuance on that, so I'm not sure. But yeah, well, let's let's talk overflights. You wanted to talk about it? Let's yeah, about there it. was an, an it, something came up the other day, and it's I've been wondering it for a while, but. Uh, because they're willing to ignore uh, the invasion of Ukraine, the Middle Eastern carriers are still allowed to overfly Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I think we talked about Wizz Air trying to set up their uh, subsidiary in Abu Dhabi to fly into Russia and then getting so much uh, pushback that they canceled that trip plan. But the idea that they could do it is because the, the, you know those countries don't have the embargo in place. And there was a, recently an argument being made that allowing 
the Middle Eastern carriers to overfly Russia on flights to the U.S. was essentially um, an end run about, around the embargo that the U.S. has implemented. And it should be they should enforce more strict rules and basically say, if you overfly those countries, we're not going to let you come here. Hmm. And that would probably kill a few of the U.S. routes for Emirates yeah, and Qatar Airways. Right, I mean, like they don't, certainly L.A. and San Francisco, I would think. Yeah, I think the West Coast in Seattle. Uh, the West yeah. Coast is in big trouble if you do that, I think. Uh, East Coast and Midwest, maybe less so. Yep. But the, the three on the West Coast, the big three cities out there, definitely would have problems. So, do you think this actually happens? Like, I mean, are they going to really force, push the, you know, limits? I think on it should. Yeah. It won't, but I think it should. Yeah, I mean, people are probably looking at the money, the dollar signs, right? Like, Yeah, well, that's what I mean, right? Like, if you want to... It's definitely financially beneficial to those airlines that they still can make those trips. Yep. Yep. And they're paying Russia for the overflights. So it's, you know, it is definitely a end run on the embargo. Yep. What do you think, Foz? You think, you think we'll, we'll, the flights will stay? Uh, I think they'll stay. I mean, Air India is also the same boat. Yeah. It's true. Because they do overfly. I mean, I've seen them, right? And we know that that's why United has kind of put Bangalore on hold from San Francisco is because they can't, they can't, they they probably can't make it. I, I don't think they can. Um, uh, I know Singapore right now is kind of going through the Mediterranean to get their Newark to JFK flight or Newark to Singapore flight um, over to Singapore. So they kind of like follow the med down through the Middle East. Um, but that's that's a that's a long flight. I mean, it really is pushing the limits of the plane. It's 19 hours sometimes. So, yeah, I, I wonder, though, I mean, that flight is so long. And does it where does it go eastbound or from Singapore to New York? Does it just hop over, over the over, over, over the, the over the Pacific? Yeah. And then yeah. creeps up over Anchorage and then crosses the United States, you know, or northern Canada. Yeah, I certainly the polar routes are more efficient a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, obviously depends on winds and everything, but I wonder just with the way the tailwinds are with the jet stream, I wonder truly what the penalty is there versus like a thin air that's done this crazy. We're going to fly tons of lift into uh, Doha, mm-hmm. which we talked about last week, I think. But yep. Well, and to the other, I mean, the other thing that thin air was doing, right. Was they were flying um, kind of these crazy routes like a and a in JAL are, which is they'll fly to Tokyo, but they fly basically the long way around um, avoiding Russian airspace to do it. Right. They were going like polar and then out like, Almost over Alaska and then looping back down, right? Yeah, exactly. Which, it's, I mean, at least that's doable with the reasonable amount of time and range of what their aircraft can handle. Yeah, I think it adds. I think it adds like three hours to the flight or something. Like yeah. That, so, but mainly in China is basically out of the question with that routing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as is Hong Kong or Bangkok or whatever. Well, and this so this this kind of leads to the next topic, right? Which is United and Emirates are supposed to announce something this coming week. We're recording this on Labor Day. Next week, uh, it's the fourteenth. The fourteenth, yes, it's still next week. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, and so everyone's kind of wondering what it is they're going to announce because it, it sounds like it's just maybe the code share is is the is the announcement, but the president of the of Emirates is coming to Dulles. Um, which for a code share, that's weird. And they're actually having an event. Yeah, and to have an event for a code share, like I, there's something else going on in my. So opinion. yeah, why would anyone think it's just a code share? I guess that'd be my first question. Yeah, because that was good. what was reported first. Yeah. Okay, so things can change, or not the full story can be reported, right? No, but it was reported as a you know scoop, an unintentional scoop. So yes, right. This wasn't the company publishing it, so. I mean, the company published a tweet or an Instagram or TikTok. I don't even know what. Yeah, like the the big eyes and then a, hey, Emirates, how you doing kind of thing. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. So maybe it'll be a not a just a co-chair, but an actual partnership. I, I'm leaning towards that, Foz. To what level? 
uh, I mean, co-chairing, maybe even JV, if they can get it, which would be an amusing irony given the situation five years ago. Sure. Um, I get JV to where is what I keep coming back to, right? So uh, a, a JV to work has to be open skies countries. Okay. Generally speaking, there's weirdness with Mexico, but that's not going to be this partnership. And has to, I would assume has to be one that does not already exist. Okay, so India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. India is covered by the JV already with Star Alliance. And that's where most of that traffic is. I, yeah, I, I give you the others, I guess. But is, are those, is there enough traffic between the U.S. and those countries to make it work? To make it worth this insane sort of what, like pissing other people off? I would also add Dubai and probably Africa. Which is also, is it covered by the JV? I don't think Africa's covered by most of the JV because I don't know that much of Africa is open skies for the U.S. See, and this Dubai. Is, so this is what the thing, anyway, I think, sorry. so I think this is where it makes more sense is actually Africa, right? I feel like, I feel like um, Turkish isn't playing nice with Star Alliance very much. Sure. And maybe this Emirates JV is a way around that to get to move people into Africa and to other places within the Middle East, even um, and more effectively. It's only a little out of the way. Yeah, I think it's only a little out of the way, and it's and on the other side, right? You can move a lot of people using United at Emirates destinations already. At Emirates US gateways. Yeah, exactly. Like Houston, they've got, they've got all the hubs except Denver. Yeah, exactly. So, so why couldn't you have a second JV for India? That's, I yeah maybe you can. Um, I, I imagine regulators would question that. As long as you keep the keep it separated on them, who's operating what, right? Like the EKUA for anything connecting in Dubai could be separate from the Star Alliance one. Yeah, I, I think that could get super weird in terms of accounting for it. In terms of figuring out how does UA prioritize what it sells? Is it only for the non-major cities or the cities that aren't co- that aren't necessarily served today by the other alliance? Could be a way to do it. I don't know. There's, I think that gets ugly in a hurry. I, also, I, yeah, I have no doubt, but it involves money. So I have the utmost faith that the airlines will figure it out because it means money to them. It's the <laughs> yeah. only thing the airlines can reliably do. It's also a good reason to understand that it would also be ugly. Yes. <laughs> I'm also just sitting here reading our notes of the agenda for today and noticing that we have, I wrote it as UA slash Emirates and that is UAE. Yeah, I know. That's what threw me off when I was reading. <laughs> um, so, but the other thing too, I think I mentioned one, one thought I had was, could this be like one of those things where Emirates says, oh, we're no longer partnering with JetBlue for the GSA contracts? So that is a very real, real chance, right? Or they start all of a sudden adding a whole bunch of additional cities that they start bidding GSA contracts on. Yeah. So that's, so for those who don't know, it's the government contracts for flights. Um, and so you have to have a, it's a U.S. It's a U.S. based carrier, right? It has to be the, the, you, the, the selling. Fly, the fly America act requires that it had used to require that it be a U.S. company. Now it only requires that it has a U.S. airline selling it. And yeah. so code shares are acceptable. GSA is government services administration. Um, yeah. I get in trouble for acronyms. Sorry. Um, and so, yeah, each year, I think it's like September to September, maybe um, mm-hmm. there's a airlines will bid for who owns essentially the contract. And they, they promise a discount to the, to government travelers. They, it's a fixed price and whoever wins the contract basically is guaranteed the lion's share of that traffic for the year. Yeah. So, um, it was a big deal when 
a few more than five years ago, but like six or seven years ago, JetBlue and Emirates announced their partnership, a code share partnership. JetBlue put its code on the Dulles to Dubai nonstop on Emirates and won the GSA contract selling those seats, bumping United off of it, at which point United pulled its Dulles to Dubai route. Yep. Um, was that pre-merger or post-merger? It was post-merger. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they had the tag flight to Bahrain, I think, right? There was a, there was yep. a bunch of Kuwait. Other, yep. Kuwait. There's a bunch of other shit going on there, uh, to be blunt. But uh, basically, JetBlue's joint uh, co-chair there made it possible for the ME3 carriers to come in and undercut uh, other other operators. And I, I, they were able to sell the non-stops, right? So in many ways, it's actually good for the government traveler. Yeah. Get there faster. Um the United flight was Dulles Dubai direct. It would, the other one was Dulles Kuwait Bahrain. Okay, thank you. Having um, done both of those, I, I was just I know there were tag. There's a tag flight somewhere in there. Yep. Um, but yes, this even just a code share opens that up. I I keep coming back to someone was saying, well, then wouldn't United use this as an opportunity to add its own feed into Dubai, a la American adding its JFK to. Uh, Doha flight, thanks to the expanded commercial partnership or whatever the hell they're calling that, mm-hmm. um, which has a code share and a bunch of other, you know, a bunch of cities at the on the other side of Doha. I just, I really keep coming back to and wondering, like, okay, cool, you got this code share, but like, it's got to be bigger than that to bother with Sir Tim coming over in mid September for no good reason. They're they're joining Star Alliance. <laughs> That's unlikely. I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it's more. Maybe it's a true partnership, and we're going to get redemptions on Emirates. Yeah, maybe it's not just code and more extensive. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe right. We'll like loyal, loyalty money. partnership might be nice. Um, be super interesting to see how they price that. Unlike, uh, well, United has sort of built a structure where they can do variable pricing by partner. It's not quite the Alaska Airlines model, though. Of you can buy Alaska plus one partner, and the prices vary wildly. So. Yeah, I mean, and when and, and Emirates is super expensive on Alaska now. Well, I mean, it's yeah, you can't even book Emirates anymore on Alaska. So. Well, you used to when it. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry, but it, that was part of the one world shift, right? But it yeah. got crazy expensive, and then it just disappeared. Exactly, and I, I, but you're right. I mean, Emirates is super expensive with the redemptions. I think United, if they could actually make it work, uh, that would be interesting to watch. I mean, I, yeah. I can't wait to see eight hundred thousand mile redemptions for an Emirates flight in business or something. So. Just like Delta. You can do that on KLM, no problem. <laughs> um, next topic. <laughs> uh, so passengers on airplanes keep dropping, airdropping new pictures to people and pilots. So this happened. The, the story was on a Southwest flight recently. The pilot actually threatened to return to the gate and get everybody thought, off the plane. I thought it did return to the gate and got everybody off the plane. Did, did he? I don't, I don't remember. But th- what he was finding was he was getting airdropped nude photos of someone from the, fl- uh, from the plane. Um, on the so importantly on the electronic flight bag. Yes, on the yeah the, the iPad. <laughs> the iPad that they use now to replace their flight manuals. So why is Bluetooth on on that thing? This is where I'm starting, and like those should be corporately managed. You'd think they can like at least set the defaults of AirDrop is not available to strangers. Yeah, there's like I feel like like this was one of the problems with deploying iOS devices for a long time, but it's finally gotten better, and there are management tools now. Like when you're corporate managing these things, you have maybe the passenger, maybe the pilots are going out of their way to like turn that back on. I know they're out at the bar and like having fun and want to get that airdrop. Um, but I, I feel like some of this shit should have been turned off for a long time ago. Should they be using the flight electronic flight bags? I I would hope that they're not really. Um, 
but there's no reason for Bluetooth to be on on those things. So, so I think the other thing too is they have MDM. I'm guessing for these flight packs, I would think because they have to put updates to mobile device mobile device management. Right, yes, that's what I'm talking you. about. Like there, there should be a an administrative management on these things that says, "Hey, no, you can't do that," or yeah. we're like going to default it to no airdrop or something of that nature. The fact that this is happening at all is baffling. Yeah, I mean, because you can set airdrop to be for receiving to be contacts only. So the only things you'll receive airdrops from is people who are in your contacts list. Or you can just turn it off completely. Right. Um, it should be turned but I'm off. guessing it. I'm guessing it's set to everyone can receive the file. Like everyone can receive. Uh, you, you, you'll receive from everyone who sends them. It's bad. Um, that's very bad. I mean, it's. Is that I even think the default iOS setting? I, don't think, I think it, it might be actually. Honestly. Are they as bad as I don't, I, default with transactions are public? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, yes. but I think it is. I believe it is. Mm, I've had an iOS device in a while. Sorry. I, I feel like and and Foz, it's not just Bluetooth though because it can be if you're on the same Wi-Fi network, right? If you're on the same Wi-Fi network, that airdrop works. Again, why are they on the same Wi-Fi network? I know, but like airport Wi-Fi. Again, yeah. why? Why are all the airlines have their own private Wi-Fi networks? Yeah, yeah. I and, agree. and there's no reason to be using the public one. And even if the EFB is using the onboard Wi-Fi for weather updates or whatever, it should be on a different sub, uh, a different network, like name. a subnet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different SSID, different SSID, different IP space, different subnet, isolated traffic. It's I know it's not super, it's not truly isolated, but close enough. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I also think I also think there's there's an ignorance though of of AirDrop, right? I think there's a lot of people don't know it's on their phone. They they don't know how it works. They don't know what it is. And if you don't get the preview of the image, which I think now is the default, you get a preview. So you're going to get the nude picture no matter what if you have it turned on. Um, then I, I think people are just kind of surprised by it. I have AirDrop turned off completely. I don't like. I've only used it once with my own laptop, and I it, I don't know. It's it's nice, but it's it's one of the things where I don't think an, an electronic flight bag needs it. But, but let's talk about the bigger issue, though, right? People doing this on an airplane to begin with. People are stupid like, and horrible. Yeah, but how do we how do we pre- how do we prevent it? Like we have to tell people that AirDrop how how AirDrop works. I think it's Apple's responsibility in some way to address this, and maybe the default needs to be off. You think Apple should issue a security notice saying, please stop airdropping your nudes to pilots? Well, <laughs> or to random strangers in general? I mean, it doesn't have to be a pilot. I think I think they need to do something to, to let people know what's happening. Like, why? I think people happening. know what's happening. And maybe. Well, I'm saying, like, hey, this is this is a function of the phone. By default, it's turned on. You need to turn it off. And here's how. Or with the next iOS update, you need to turn it off and let people decide whether they want it on or not. Because trolls are going to troll. Like that's that's my view of this. Yeah. And the only way to help people is to protect them and teach them what is happening. I don't know. You have better faith in humanity than I do. Think what do you mean? Go like I sort of take a certification <laughs> exam before you can have airdrop. <laughs> it's like I'm going to the DMV. Really? Exactly. Yeah, I gotta get airdrop enabled. As soon as you get <laughs> certified to go through TSA pre, you can then go get airdrop. Oh, like that's really gonna help it. <laughs> yeah, have you seen some of the people going through pre-check? Yeah, like, like let me take everything out. Like, have you never done this before? <laughs> I will tell you that this morning I was in Boston going through, and I'm used to Logan has had the ID only pre-check for a long mm-hmm. time, and the one guy, the, there were two lanes open, and the guy says, "I need your boarding pass too." And I saw him scan the couple in front of me, and I was confused by it. I had it open; it was ready, but I was like. It's wrong. The fancy machine broken. He's like, yeah, it's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what that's what I that's what I hate though about like PDX. They switch. Like one day they'll have the ID scanner and that's all yeah. you'll use, and one day it'll be only boarding passes. It's like, well, you guys just make up your mind. Like all the machines. No, because the, 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 un- the, un- 
the uncertainty helps catch uh, ah, Yes, and they're watching me. Yes, okay. Um, Saudi Arabia is reporting plans for a thirty new thirty billion dollar airline investment. So they're going to invest thirty billion dollars in Saudi. No, it's going to be a new airline, not Saudi. Uh-huh. Oh, what are they going to call it? Saudi B. Ah, got it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and get Car- Cardi B to be the spokesperson. Hey, I don't think that would go over well in Saudi Arabia. Um, I mean, anyway, they, could, they could go with the you know the, the singular pronoun boy names and go like you know so, something along those lines. <laughs> I don't know uh, if that translates in Arabic, but that would be my first guess. So the the, the gist of this is it's weird in many ways of like launching a comp- like launching a new state owned competitor your, to your state owned company. Yeah. Um, why would you do that? But sure. On top of that, uh, they want to use their geographic location, which is sort of between the ME3 and Turkish, to, again, play the role of major connector on the global aerospace world. And I, $30 billion is a lot of money to buy airplanes and launch a new airline. But I, you know, to your point, Stephen, about like, how's that going to work in Saudi Arabia? I just can't for the life of me figure out, like, are they going to start serving alcohol? That's what I was going to say. It's like, you're never going to get travel bloggers on board unless you serve alcohol. <laughs> and it's not even the, uh, you're right. And that's, <laughs> it, that's fine. But right. It's not just the travel bloggers. And it's, I don't want to say like, that's the only thing that matters, but for a large portion of the premium travel world, having, having a hundred dollar bottle of champagne on board somehow is like the bee's knees. Yeah. No, it's, and, it's true. Yeah. Right. Like I, I was in an interview this is six years ago now, I think, but I was in an interview with a Saudi executive. Um, it was me and a couple other people. And it was right before the new uh, terminal at uh, RUH, I'm blanking, Riyadh opened. Yep. And he was going on and on about how it's going to be a world-class facility and a this and a that. And one of my colleagues without missing me was like, oh, so you're going to finally start serving champagne in the line. He's like, what are you like? He thought we were like, we're crazy. Oh, well, at least in duty free, you'll sell alcohol. Absolutely not. Right. And so maybe that's changed since then. I haven't admittedly have not flown through Riyadh lately. I don't think um, so. I, it's, ever, alcohol, but, it's, it's a dry, it's a dry country. Right. So, and, and it's like Egypt air is dry, but sort of had a wink, wink nod that if you brought your own alcohol on board, they would serve it to you. And like I, people, that I did not know. That was it, supposedly, I've never tried it. It's, you know, old flyer talk lore, let's call it. Um, yeah. but the two times I flew on Egypt, I didn't need it. Um, uh, I was red eyes. I didn't care, but like, <laughs> right. Like, so there's some reports of that kind of thing. I just don't see how that happens in Saudi Arabia. And that's not the only thing, but I feel like as an indicative sort of marker of, is it going to really be a useful, popular, well-connecting airline in that geographic location without that? And there are a lot of people in the world that don't drink. So maybe, but I just don't know. I, I'm more thinking like, is this like an image? Like it's gonna they're gonna create a new image of what Saudi airlines are like to try and draw people to connect there. I think I think that's their biggest struggle. I mean, we we say alcohol, but I think it's the overall image, right, yeah. of the carrier. And, um, and there is a lot of work going into making Saudi Arabia more tourist friendly, in theory, uh, right? I think they finally no longer require women to be escorted, at least in some of the cities. Yep, but only in some of them. Right, like there's a lot of work that's rec- still needs to happen to make this happen. Yeah, I mean, the counterpoint would be that if they discount the fares enough to their competitors, people will fly them. Yeah, right. You going from Europe to Southeast Asia or Australia, and they're ten, twenty percent less. You will fill a bucket, bucket of that plane. Yeah, even without the booze. Even without the booze. And I'm, I, in, I, I'm in Salt Lake City where you can't really get booze. So there you go. 
And maybe maybe it'll be maybe uh, the, their you know their selling point will become no travel bloggers. Hey, or or their selling point will be no no airdrop nudes in our country. Um, yeah, airdrop nudes. I, I, I also wondered. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm wondering too. You, you brought up a good point that they're basically going to create a state state owned airline that competes with itself. Is it just a fancy way of money laundering? Probably. That's it. That's a good example. I mean, a good uh, explanation as anything else I can come up with. You know what I mean? Like you're competing with yourself. Why? Like that just doesn't. You know. Anyway. But uh, maybe I mean it could also be that they're re- starting a new airline to phase the old one out. True. I don't get the impression they, like Saudi has got a strong order book. They're continuing to grow. There's a lot going on there. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, that could also, obviously could all change, but yeah, but the order book they could be if it's a state owned, they could easily shift to the new airline. Yeah, I don't think that's in the cards, but we'll see. I mean, Saudi ha- also has the Hajj traffic, right? Like that's that's a big driver for them. Um, I mean, fl- filling you know seven triple seven three hundred ERs to you know Kuala Lumpur and. Indonesia and random places in Africa probably makes them pretty good money. So, yeah. Anyway, um, Silver Air has retired all of the Saab 340s as of this week. That's kind of wild. They're an ATR airline now. Is um, have you flown on them since they've switched? I have not, and I'm not sure I flew on them before they. Sw- I did. I did. I flew Gainesville to Orlando once because hmm. that's a nice two-hour drive that definitely needed an airplane. Um, <laughs> I can't tell yeah. if you're being facetious. It definitely does not need an airplane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the Florida Turnpike's annoying, but it's not that bad. Um, I have not flown on one of their ATRs yet. They're 70 seaters, the 72s, yeah. right? Uh, I think that's I, both. I thought they had both. They have, 40, they have 42s and uh, 72s. Yeah. So I think they, I mean, the 72 is a 70 seater plane, um, which is kind of wild how big it is, really. Hopefully, um, I mean, it's cool. I still like their look. I, I kind of want Yeah. Have you flown yeah, himself, the- uh, Foz? Sorry. I don't think I have, or maybe I have. Was there a precursor to Silver? Because I've done, like, Tampa to Miami on a co-partner on a Gulfstream way there, back when. That pro- but it was a Gulfstream? Yeah. It was, like, 20 years ago. Yeah, it could have been them. That They have been around there for a long time doing those routes. Yeah, um, then, then I have been on them. But, you know, the, the thing I – I didn't realize how far north they fly in some cases. Because um, I think they get it as far as South Carolina and maybe North Carolina. The Char- they did the Charleston's. Was it Charleston, right? To Orlando? Yeah. I think that's yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. And now, what, what which was an issue when Breeze showed up. It's like, oh, isn't your little pink plane cute? Um, <laughs> but I guess the question is, what happens when you know during the uh, surprise ice that we might get down to Georgia? Does Silver just cancel the flights because the ATRs are not something you want to be on in icy conditions? Just wait till it warms up. It'll melt off. Yeah. Might be waiting a few days. Yeah, it'll be fine. They only fly it twice a week, anyways. As long as it's not an O ring, it'll be okay. Right. It's similar. It's a boot. <laughs> it's like, it's leading edge, <laughs> right with the leading edge, like they have a it, like inflates, right? It's rubberized. Yep. yep. And so they put an air compressor on it, like it inflates and cracks the ice off, and it's just like it's supposed to. Yeah, it's crazy. Yep. As opposed to um, modern airplanes that melt it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. 
I think that's a show. I mean, we got some bonus topics. We're going to talk about Thai Airways and some A340s. We're going to talk about Air Canada and uh, Israel blocking four-engine jets in the bonus uh, episode. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, stay tuned for that. If you're not a Patreon subscriber and you'd like to be, you can follow the links in the show and become one, and you get extra topics. Uh, But if not, no big deal. We appreciate you listening, and uh, thanks for coming on and joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Take care. See you later.